Hello, my name is Thomas and welcome to this latest episode of British Culture, Albion Never Dies. I'm out for a walk again, this time in a forest because I thought I'd have less, uh, less wind cutting across the microphone if I did this. And today I've been flooded with listener mail. I asked on my Instagram what are the big differences between the UK and the US and I put that episode out but people were still messaging me with suggestions. So I'm going to start off with that. Um, then I'm going to talk about the steam trains and how it's 1940s weekend that I went on. And again, some of you will see those pictures on my Instagram, Fleming Never Dies. And it's just a bit of general news, because this episode is back in Britain 6. I have been here, well, that long. I think I'm on my uh, third work week, <laughs> a new job, new place. Everything's going well, lovely people and all that. Um, but like I say, I always love a good bit of listener mail, so... I asked on Instagram what are the most interesting differences between the UK and the US. First one in, after the episode came out, was from Two Green Thumbs, a retro gaming account, who said, BMI. <laughs> Body mass index is different between the US and the UK, as it is between the UK and much of Europe, I believe, or used to be. Used to be. That's the thing. Culture is always changing. Those facts are always getting out of date. But definitely, it's been a popular joke. You know, you go to the USA on holiday, you come back, and what you need is a new pair of trousers. <laughs> I mentioned in my last episode, I think, that US food is just sugar and everything, and uh, in even bread. And so, even in California, famed for its, you know, health food fads, uh, you know, I still found it a struggle, you know, going running and cycling and just to maintain my weight, and did put on a bit of weight, which I'm slowly losing. Too slowly, too slowly. That's why I'm on all these walks. Um, but yeah, it's just a lifestyle. You're driving around, you're sitting around, it's just not that active. Something I didn't talk about last time was a suggestion from Izzy Reddy, who suggested the class system. And lots of people, uh, when they hear about the UK, would say a very British thing is our class system. I'd say it's widely misunderstood. But then it's very hard to understand, and it's very difficult to pin down what exactly is it. Maybe there's some kind of social contract. If you make it big, if you are rich, you have a responsibility towards everybody else. That, I think, is the most positive aspect of it. Uh, I know when I interviewed the British writer, Roland Hume, a while ago, he was saying something he doesn't really like about the UK is the maybe nimbyism, uh, you know, not in my backyard, people looking, curtain twitching, you know, looking at each other, seeing what each other was doing, and all those expectations and tie-ins. It's an essential part of British culture. Um, but one thing that's very, very different between the UK and the US is when we say class system in the UK, it can be completely detached from money. You can be upper class, and you can be cash poor. It might not even be the size of your house. Um, you know, it's to do with education. It's to do with outlook. It's to do with upbringing. It's to do with so many intangible factors that sometimes, you know, I've worked abroad much of my life. Often that means working alongside Americans, and they'll say America does have a class system. But what they describe to me as a as a non-American specialist doesn't sound like a class system. It sounds like a wealth system. So definitely, there's a there's a wealth divide in the United States. I'm not the first person in the universe to say that. But the class system goes way, way, way beyond that. It's to do with your place in society, what's expected from you, and what you expect from others. It is an interesting one, is he ready? And it's one I'm going to have to ponder more, because I feel like, I feel there could be more, more to this. 
Jason Kim sent me a message that confused me. He said, no booze in sports stadiums. And I was genuinely curious about this. So I sent him a few messages because I don't go to sports stadiums in the UK or in the US. It's not my interest. So I was asking him which one doesn't have booze. And uh, it seems that in the United States, you can sit around in a sports stadium drinking. And when I've seen, you know, videos or images, you know, cut to the audience. If you're, if you're in a sports bar in the United States, it shows the audience and they are all comfortably sitting around. I don't see them moving around very much. Um, yeah, I think I've seen the kiss cam. Um, if you want a Glasgow kiss in a, in a British stadium, a Glasgow kiss, if you're not aware, is a headbutt. Uh, when I was young, certainly Britain was famed for having <laughs> the best, the best football hooligans in the world. Nobody was greater, greater hooligans than the, the Barmy army. They were, they were famed for it. Yeah, I think when we had matches abroad, the Europeans would brace themselves for the coming of the English football fan. Um, so, so if there's no alcohol in the stands, I can uh, I can readily appreciate why not. They don't seem to need it. Um, yeah, I think that's a very <laughs> very great insight into uh, the difference in in how we watch sports. I remember I was talking to somebody who uh, was from Wolfenstone and he used to go along to his local team uh, watching them to play and there was one huge obese man who used to go along and at the beginning of the match he would tear off his shirt and start rubbing his belly <laughs> in the direction of the opposing team until the stewards came and started taking him away <laughs> for bad behaviour <laughs> but yeah, terrible behaviour you don't need alcohol mixed in with all that <laughs> So thank you, Jason Kim, for that suggestion. 007 Islander suggested mannerisms. Um, yeah, certainly there are mannerisms. You can take the tube in London as you travel around, especially going towards oh, that stop with that massive American embassy. You can just see the mannerisms are very, very different between Brits and Americans. And uh, oh, I've not been in California for a month or two now, and uh, <laughs> what that means is that people haven't touched me. <laughs> <laughs> random people have not touched me random people I don't know haven't touched me um, and they haven't given me a, a strange look when I've been startled and, and say well you'll get used to our American ways no I won't <laughs> yeah so uh, in Britain we don't touch you <laughs> that's a big difference in mannerisms uh, Adam John Fraser suggested customer service um, yeah that's definitely a big feature of the United States um, the customer service is on point and uh, as has been pointed out to me many times it's because the waiters and waitresses are living off tips um, and Don Hammer uh, messaged me I really like this so this is an exact quote the tight Yorkshireman in me wants to say tipping culture that's just the first half I'll leave it there so he wants to say tipping culture because um, he's a tight Yorkshireman um, I'm in Yorkshire and I've lived here a few times uh, before and I remember I once took a, a National Express bus which took about seven hours to get down to London I think I was seeing somebody and then uh, just happened to notice a really nice bookshop so I went in about 20 or so books I wanted but I you know I was near the end of the nearing the end of the month uh, I wasn't quite at the paycheck yet and I I, <sighs> I had to negotiate had to negotiate and eventually I did get a discount from the from the bookstore owner who was Scottish who said only a Yorkshireman could get a discount out of a Scotsman. <laughs> Hence the expression, the tight Yorkshireman in me wants to say this. And then Don Hammer continued, but 
it's probably the US political extremes. Um, so certainly I'd, I'd agree with that, and I think that's something that's very different from my image of the US when I was a child. The US has become, to my perspective, more and more divided, um, people moving very much within their political circles, and then that seems to determine the movies they watch, the, the news they watch, the newspapers they watch, everything seems determined by that, um, as opposed to something much healthier like the movies you watch and the newspapers you read and everything else being determined by the class system. <laughs> I used to shock and horrify many, many, many undergraduates by reading the Sun newspaper as an undergraduate because it had been banned by the Students' Union for being too right-wing, um, so therefore I couldn't resist <laughs> taking it into the university and, and reading it. <sighs> There's a form of rebellion at university, wearing a suit jacket and reading the Sun. <laughs> yeah, so the lack of unity in the United States um, and you know it's been touched on extensively elsewhere um, the divide in the United States over the pandemic which is I'd say almost a not quite but almost a unique feature to the United States here you know you've got unitary figures you can all rally around the Queen being an obvious example platinum jubilee coming up um, but in the United States there wasn't like a single unitary figure and uh, well I did an episode called N is for the NHS, the National Health Service, in which I talked about that a bit more. Um, but I just posted some pictures of a big event, the, the Howarth 1940s weekend, and I posted that on some of my social media and where I've got Americans that are commenting on masks and no masks, and it still seems to be like a, an ongoing issue, um, which on which I have no strong view myself. I just observe, as I say, the, the general inability to just settle down. Aussie Bond guy got onto safe territory. He said the biggest difference between the US and the UK is driving on the wrong side of the road. Because of course, Australians drive on the left and Americans drive on the wrong. Ha! <laughs> ah, I like Aussie Bond guy. Thank you very much for your suggestion. Right, that was the first bit. <laughs> Listener mail. <laughs> so, I just think I'll quickly talk about the uh, the Howarth 1940s weekend. I really, really enjoyed it. But first, I went on the Sunday, went into the, the service at Bradford Cathedral, and uh, went to the bathroom. And there, I learned about the toilet twinning scheme. <laughs> Bradford Cathedral's toilet is twinned with one in Tando Alia in Sindh province in Pakistan. Uh, apparently one in three people worldwide don't have a toilet. So by supporting toilet twinning, you are helping flush away poverty. <laughs> and I have a quick Google of uh, toilet twinning. That's really interesting. Um, so in this toilet, which is of course kind of a, a public toilet, it's the cathedral toilet, um, there's a picture of this toilet in Pakistan, which is the school toilet, um, an outdoor kind of block made of breeze blocks, uh, which, which their toilet is twinned with. Um, well, couldn't resist that detail. <laughs> anyway, lovely service at the cathedral, headed out on the trains and took the Keithley and Worth railway train to Howarth. Now, this is a train which, if you've never heard of it, may still be familiar to you because it was the, uh, the railway in which the movie The Railway Children is set around and uh, it, there are quite a few versions of it, but uh, they're all filmed in the same place. Um, I used to watch a, a British, you know, just a nice little, I say it's a chocolate box drama, just a really nice little family drama. 
said in the 50s and just to emphasize what a nice little town it was they used the smallest working railway station uh, in Britain which is Damon's which is on the Keithianworth railway um, so it's always nice to see it that and I couldn't remember I could never remember the name of this TV show it was 20 years ago but it was really really nice and when I was on it I just overheard a couple talking and they mentioned the name of the show Born and Bred <laughs> so I now uh, have to go on a hunt see if I can find this old uh, this old TV show but uh, I fell into conversation with them and they were telling me yeah it's really hard to get the DVDs they hold their value yeah lots of people like Born and Bred it's uh, after a hard day it's something you can fall asleep in front of <laughs> it's very quaint and as I was on the train, as I was going in there, going up to Howarth, I don't know, I was just in a, just in a little compartment by myself. Uh, a gentleman of mature years came in and then just over the next half hour told me his life story. And uh, I feel very lucky that it was a jolly, jolly interesting one, that he travelled around on business all throughout uh, the Western Mediterranean, all throughout, I think, the 70s and 80s, and uh, yeah, just a jolly interesting chap. He brought up the topic of James Bond, not me. <laughs> Talking about uh, how he'd been to uh, a lovely James Bond concert that was hosted uh, by uh, the actress who played Miss Moneypenny, Lois Maxwell. And he talked about all the funny stories that she was telling about Roger Moore. Um, it was a, yeah, just a really nice trip. And he went up pointing out I know, local, local sites because he's a lifetime member of that railway. So uh, I believe his name was Robert. So uh, Robert... If you ever you come across this podcast, thank you very much, because you told me all the things to look out for, including the llamas. Um, so in West Yorkshire is uh, the home to Saltaire, which is a, a fabulously rich city uh, in, the, in the 19th century, built up by Titus Salt, who pioneered turning, I think it was alpaca wool, into cloth, uh, which had been hitherto beyond beyond technical abilities. And so a lot of uh, the wealth of Saltaire was built on llama and alpaca wool um so it's a great uh i know great oddity of west yorkshire you see you see all these uh, south american animals all up the hillside if you know where to go and if you know where to look anyway anyway i, I posted a few pictures of that and uh, 007 fanatic messaged me from australia um another australian bond fan saying you're so lucky to go on this if only i was in england and uh, again thank you very much for getting in touch we we found common ground in the michael portillo show great british railway journeys which is a great bbc program um started 2010 um, from the a former member of john major's government and margaret thatcher's government michael portillo um he was often tipped as the next Prime Minister, I feel his whole career was people talking about how one day he would be the Prime Minister. Um, and then in 1997, he had his Portillo moment, um, which has gone down in British political vernacular. He was, I say, such a favourite uh, of so many, but being a government minister doesn't make you safe from elections. They still have to fight their local seat. In 1997, the Conservatives lost by a landslide and the moment he lost his seat um, that was the night everybody knew the Conservatives couldn't win if even he couldn't win his own seat um, then that that was it so it's known as the the Portillo moment um, and and he came back later and was in Parliament and nearly became Conservative leader but uh, but nearly means he didn't and he's become very very thoughtful and reflective in his in his later years uh, in 2016 he was uh, on a TV show hosted by Andrew Neil and was asked about uh, the Conservative government's uh, legislation plans 
um, and he was asked, what do you think the Conservative government really wants to do? And Portillo replied, after 23 years of careful thought about what they'd like to do in power, I think the answer is nothing. <laughs> anyway, he's been awarded the city, uh, the freedom of the city of London. He hasn't been awarded the city of London, the freedom of it. Um, but I was, I was just scrolling through because, you know, I get curious, I start Googling. He was given a great honour. He led the annual sheep drive over London Bridge, 29th of September 2019. I've been loving going around the UK, going to, you know, Pontefract Castles, we Pontefract Cakes, put that video on YouTube. Enjoyed uh, just going to a street market in, uh, in North Yorkshire and getting my Yorkshire flat cap. <laughs> I've enjoyed going to the 1940s weekend. I'm going to keep looking out for more fun festivals to go to and then I'll be sharing about it here. So that sheep, that sheep drive, I think that has to be a must. If all goes well, if I'm still here hanging on in September, hope I, uh, hope I can get to it. Yeah, it's been fun. Uh, so coming back, I'm... Uh, I'm a guest at my friend's house still. Um, you've probably heard his cat in a previous episode. Uh, in fact, that was probably the most popular guest I've ever had. Sorry to all the humans who've ever been on it, but I got the most number of messages, including from one member of the Bond community who sent me a voice message doing an impression of the cat. <laughs> it was a very good impression. I feel I shouldn't reveal who it was. Sadly, I didn't record it or save it or anything. It's disappeared into the ether. It was a very good impression. Um, that cat, well, he was, uh, I think, 17 years old, finally found his international fame and uh, has recently breathed his last. So he's passed away. His, his, uh, his meows are immortalised in recording, uh, but sadly, sadly no longer with us. I've been, I've been looking around for a flat to stay and, uh, oh, it's a crazy, crazy market. Um, just letting you know my personal situation now. It is a crazy market. For two years, everyone's locked down, nobody could move around, and suddenly everybody who wants to move this year, who wanted to move last year, and who wanted to move the last year before that, they're all moving. It's a mad, mad market. Uh, the, the house prices are completely volatile, and uh, I went to look at one flat that was absolutely perfect. There's pretty strange conditions on it. There was uh, a lady selling would only let it for six months. It was completely unfurnished. No curtains, nothing, no blinds, nothing. Absolutely completely unfurnished. Could only go in for six months. And once you're in, you had to accept people coming around, looking at literally any point because she really wanted to sell it. Mad. Mad. Okay, I guess... Whew, the, only, the only other piece of uh, Telegraph and Argus style news, I've often done a slice of life. And it, and it seems outrageous not to cover this because Bradford has been on the national news due to a Ukrainian refugee. The headline in the sun reads, Shattered by betrayal, a Ukrainian refugee, Sofia, wore a low-cut top and put on makeup when Tony came home. She was after him from day one. This is from a, a Bradford man uh, who wanted to take in a Ukrainian refugee who's married with two children and uh, there is obviously a government system so you can you know, look after a refugee and uh, yeah he wanted to bypass the system because it all seemed too bureaucratic and too slow so he joined a Facebook group invited this young lady in and uh, well has run away with her to his mum <laughs> this is uh, so it's been on the front page of uh, the sun that was the leader yesterday as as his uh, 
his wife is uh, telling her story and then today the the, the refugee uh, Lorna is telling her story saying fair in love and war my parents are ashamed after Tony left Lorna for me but uh, oh, sorry Lorna is the wife oh so who is who's the Ukrainian woman oh Sophia fair enough Sophia, 22, moved in with Tony Garn at 29 and as Mrs. Lorna after they offered to sponsor her UK stay. Ten days later, Lorna, 28, accused the blonde IT worker of setting her sights on her man. <sighs> well, well, Bradford's always in the news for something. <laughs> Often I've talked about the traffic offences. This is, this is the, the shocking, shocking case of a man leaving his wife and kids uh, to go and live with his mom. And a Ukrainian refugee. So uh, she is the refugee. Is apparently horrified because her parents rang her up and said, "Look, people are going to be frightened to take in refugees. You know, if they're reading this in the papers." And uh, so now she is a refugee, and her hometown is criticising her, and uh, she's all over the British papers, and there's photos of them, so they're easily identifiable. And well, well, what, watch this space. What can I say? Bradford always in the news for something. So, so. That's back in Britain 6. <laughs> Should leave it on that bombshell. Um, yeah. And, uh, and what can I say? In memory, in memory to Alfred Chocolate Yum Yum the Cat. I think I'll, I'll leave, leave this podcast with, with the meows that I recorded a few weeks ago before he passed away. Thank you very much for listening. This is Back in Britain 6 for British Culture. I hope it never dies. Signing out. <laughs>